0: This is Latin Pulse, a weekly analysis of news and public affairs in Latin America. Brought to you in cooperation with American University's School of Communication in Washington, D.C. and Link TV. And now here's host Rick Rockwell. Bienvenidos and welcome to Latin Pulse. This week we focus our attention on Colombia as the country holds an electoral runoff for president this weekend. And we discuss the Colombian Civil War with the Pulitzer Prize winner. But first, Megan Eckhamel is away this week, so Elisa Pacheco has our weekly review of news from around Latin America.
1: Costa Rican President Luis Guillermo Solis was in the U.S. this week, meeting with leaders of high-tech companies and other investors. After a sit-down with Solis, U.S. technology giant Intel said it would create a giant megalab to test products in the Central American country. This megalab would replace a factory that Intel is shutting down. Solis won the presidency earlier this year by promising it wouldn't be business as usual in Costa Rica. He's viewed as a political outsider as he's never held office before. But in Washington, D.C., Solis said he wanted to reassure investors that his administration welcomes foreign companies. He said he wanted to practice good populism by engaging in grassroots politics.
0: There is a need to make politics warmer. Some people will say, oh, that's ridiculous, that's populism. Yes, it is. It's good populism. We have forgotten that ultimate power is given by the people to their representative. I am their employee. I have to be where they are. I have to talk with them. I have to hear them. They have to listen to me. We have to be in touch.
1: Solis has an ambitious agenda. A top priority is rooting out corruption and increasing transparency in government. But there are challenges ahead. His party only has 13 seats in the 57-seat Congress.
0: This occurred. I mean, I was given a very strong mandate, but I was also given the responsibility to use it in the context of a very divided Congress. And that was not accidental. That's the way the people wanted it to be.
1: So this returns to Costa Rica this weekend. <music> Colombia entered the first stages of peace talks with the rebel group, the National Liberation Army, known as the ELN. The government confirmed they've been in contact with the ELN since January. They're discussing the possibility of beginning formal peace talks, akin to the current negotiations with guerrilla group the FARC, the Revolutionary Armed Forces of Colombia. The FARC is much larger and wealthier than the ELN. Both rebel groups follow Marxist doctrine, but they've had political differences in the past and have even fought each other. The government's announcement came just days before the second round of presidential elections this Sunday. Incumbent Juan Manuel Santos is facing right-wing candidate Oscar Iván Zuluaga, who is very critical of the ongoing dialogue with the FARC. We'll have more on the Colombian elections later in this program. Colombia's negotiations with the FARC took another key step forward this week. Both sides came to an agreement on the rights of victims of the conflict. Peace negotiators in Havana, Cuba released a 10-point document outlining how to move forward when seeking justice for victims. Among the points of the agreement, both the FARC and the government must take responsibility for victims, rather than expect impunity. Other important points, victims have a right to reparations, justice, and truth. Negotiators invited a group of victims of the conflict to Havana to share their experiences. There's only one more item on the agenda of those involved in the peace talks, and that's how to end the fighting between the security forces and the FARC. Negotiators said a new subcommittee will focus exclusively on establishing the conditions for a ceasefire. The World Cup has kicked off in Brazil. Brazil won the inaugural game in a 3-1 match against Croatia. There was little sign of unrest across the country the first day of the tournament. In Sao Paulo, subway workers backed down from a threatened strike, citing fear of public backlash. Mexico will play against Cameroon later today. Saturday, Colombia plays Greece, while Uruguay faces off with Costa Rica. For Latin Pulse, I'm Elisa Pacheco.
0: Thanks, Elisa. Colombians will make their choice for president this weekend. In a bit of a surprise, Former finance minister Oscar Iván Zuluaga won in the first round of the elections last month by four points. Zuluaga represents the conservative party known as the Centro Democrático or the Democratic Center. However, in a five-way race, he failed to take an absolute majority, so he will face Colombia's current president, Juan Manuel Santos, in the runoff. Zuluaga is ahead by a point or so in most pre-election polls, but the race is so close statistically that many consider it a dead heat. Some see the announcement this week of an opening for peace talks with one of Colombia's guerrilla groups, the National Liberation Army, or ELN, as a last push by Santos to gain an electoral advantage. We asked Louis Goodman for his analysis of the presidential race. Goodman is a professor and dean emeritus of the School of International Service at American University, and he's written extensively about Latin America. We conducted this interview before News of the Peace Talks
2: was released. This is a very important country and a very important election. And, uh, and it really speaks for democracy, the way this is going. Uh, while one can contrast this as an election between war and peace, and there certainly are different ways to approach achieving peace, because both candidates want peace, I think one of the bottom line things to note is these are both very competent people, these two people that are finalists. And you don't have that in every election around the world. Crazy people get nominated for different situations. And these are two hugely accomplished individuals who have achieved substantial things, who have lots of administrative experience, and will take the country in different ways, but will do it quite competently as they move ahead, and we will have great challenges. So uh, I think that uh, Colombia as a nation deserves all kinds of congratulations. It's been a nation that suffered a civil war which has been hugely disruptive for 60 years and it has not fallen apart. It's not fallen apart politically or economically. It's made great progress economically. Uh, It continues politically. It has these democratic elections with excellent candidates. And if this war can be ended, Colombia will just burst on the scene to be an even more important country than it already is and it's a very important country in this hemisphere. Zuluaga adjusted his
0: campaign rhetoric after he won in the first round and said he would be open to peace talks, and before he said the peace talks would be off, but he set up some very tough conditions for the Revolutionary Armed Forces of Colombia, the FARC, to meet, to stay in those talks. So you're right, both candidates do want peace, but different prices for that
2: peace. And different visions about how to get there. Um, Of course, you know, Mr. Santos was the defense minister for the former president, Alvaro Uribe. And uh, Alvaro Uribe formed a new party when he was president and took a much more confrontational approach to the armed insurrections. And uh, by the time he left office, there was less political disorder and more confidence in the nation than there had been before. And he expected his... Uh, successor who took the uh, took the helm or the nomination of his party to continue with his perspective. And he, much to his surprise, his successor did not. His, and uh, this is what this election is all about, because Mr. Zuluaga, who is supported by Mr. Uribe very strongly, says that he will follow the path that Mr. Uribe took before. And Mr. Santos, who has followed a different path, thinks that a negotiation is the right way to go right now. And uh, the Colombian people have a very clear choice here. I mean, this is democracy in action, really an interesting situation. We should be very specific for some of our listeners who don't
0: track Colombia that uh, the current president, Juan Manuel Santos, his uh, new coalition is the National Unity Coalition. And um, Oscar Zuluaga is the head of the Democratic Center Party at this point, which is Uribe's party. Uh, That is a real question for this, is could this happen again? Zuluaga is running as the representation of Uribe, who's going to be a leader in the Senate in Colombia. Could it be that that he also ends up being his own man and sets his own course once he's in there in the
2: presidency and changes um, what this base idea is. Well, he will be his own man. He's he's not anyone's puppet. He's a very serious person. Uh, But we have every indication from the campaign and from what he's articulated that the position that he would hold were he president is similar to the position which Uribe uh, would like to be held. And in fact, in this runoff, uh, former President Uribe, who has a strong following in Colombia, is organizing the runoff campaign in Bogota and is going from neighborhood to neighborhood campa- campaigning for Zuluaga. And uh, uh, so this is, this is a very serious situation. Many of
0: the experts say that it really does all boil down to Bogota, the capital. 40% of the electorate didn't vote for either one of these candidates. So even though Zuluaga had the four-point lead in the first round, it's still anyone's election,
2: is it not? It is anyone's election now. The you know Colombia traditionally has a conservative party and a liberal party, and the liberal party, which is to the left, its representative Clara Lopez received. I think it was seventeen percent of the vote. And uh, if any one of the candidates has a block that's likely to go to one candidate or another, it's Lopez's voters who are likely to vote for Santos. And so, uh, if there were no electioneering happening between round one and round two, my prediction would be that Santos would win even though he had a smaller portion of the vote in the first round because the Liberal Party vote would combine with his and, and he'd have a plurality as a result of that. But uh, since so many of the votes are coming from Bogota, both parties have been organizing very intensively in Bogota, uh, going door to door um, and uh, with uh, very prominent figures Uh, weighing in on both sides. And so it's very hard to predict what the outcome is going to be.
0: Along those lines, there are some concerns that there will be low voter turnout on election day because there are also three World Cup matches on the same day. Does low voter turnout end up favoring Zuluaga?
2: I think low voter turnout favors Santos uh, because he has votes from his own party, And the Liberal Party is an old party with a strong machine. And uh, uh, the Conservative Party, which is the other traditional party, whose voters would be more likely to vote for Zuluaga, uh, nevertheless would be more split than the Liberal Party. Yes, the World Cup matches will be a distraction, but this is serious stuff. Um, And the people that voted the first time will very likely vote again. Uh, It's interesting in in Colombia. People are tired of war. Um, The war has taken a terrible toll on the nation and on people's lives, and they want it to be over. And the low voter turnout is, many people think, a result of the alienation that people have towards any politician uh, that's just allowed this violence to continue. Uh, On the other hand, there is a clear choice. Both candidates say they want peace, one wants peace through negotiations. That's Santos, who started negotiation. The other wants peace without impunity. Um, that's the That's the slogan that Zuluaga uses. Both of them are peace candidates, but Zuluaga says that the FARC has been a criminal organization, which it has been, if you think about the rule of law, and that they should be prosecuted for all the crimes that they've committed, and that's a condition for moving ahead to ending the war that's the position that uh that Alvaro Uribe would take that's the position that Zuluaga would take that's a position that many Colombians feel and then many other Colombians feel quite differently
0: and it's interesting i I've, I've seen some of the rhetoric on the campaign trail and Zuluaga is is pressing the cuban button that his point is that the left in Colombia and that the FARC are controlled by Havana and that a vote for him is a vote for Colombia a vote for somebody else is a vote for those extranjeros
2: that's a that's electioneering rhetoric um uh and populism yeah i i guess populism and you know we see that you know we see crazy claims in every election including elections in the united states um you know, the question is, is that going to have an impact on the people who might or might not vote for Santos? Uh, and it is true that the FARC has received support from Havana. It's true that the negotiations are taking place in Havana. It's clear that many FARC leaders have had uh, have had significant Cuban training. Some of them are still doctrinaire Marxists, others are not. Um, but I, I think it'd be difficult for people to imagine that Santos were a puppet of of, uh, of Cuba. And uh, people have lived with this for such a long time that uh, while it's understandably that, understandable that this would be campaign rhetoric, um, it's my bet that that's not going to have a big impact on the results. In your earlier answer,
0: you intimated that Colombia is on the cusp of something very important, and this election is going to determine where that goes. Can, can you expand on
2: that a bit? Latin America, as a region, has been uh, plagued by slow economic growth. And Colombia is a country that, despite its uh, problems with civil war, has had respectable economic growth. Colombia is the second largest country in South America doesn't look that big when you look at the map because it's close to the equator, but it's much bigger than Argentina. Its population is growing. It has tremendous natural resources. And it's finally moving from an import substitution economic policy to a global trade policy, export-led, and trying to diversify, not only to take advantage of the raw materials, which it has lots of, but also to move up the value chain. Thank you so much,
0: Louis Goodman of American University our guest today on Latin Pulse. It's a pleasure being
2: here.
1: For indigenous communities the right to free prior and informed consent is supported by article 10 of the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples which states that governments may not forcibly displace indigenous communities from their lands or territories nor carry out any contracted project on indigenous people's lands without their free prior and informed consent.
2: For more information Visit culturalsurvival.org slash consent. Welcome back to Latin Pulse.
0: Some months back, two-time Pulitzer winner Dana Priest produced yet another weighty investigation, this time revealing details about the CIA connections to new strategies employed by Colombia's military in its fight against that country's rebel groups. Some credit these strategies with decimating the rebel leadership and eventually forcing both of Colombia's rebel groups to the bargaining table for peace talks. Priest's investigation also confirmed for the first time that the Colombian military had used a bomb guided by U.S. intelligence services to kill a rebel leader who was in hiding in Ecuador in 2008. Here are excerpts from our discussion with Dana Priest in her office at the Washington Post.
3: Well, it's significant for Colombia because uh, this help has really enabled the Colombian Uh, military to make many more gains against the FARC guerrillas than they were able to make without it. Uh, And what I mean by gains is they've basically been able to kill uh, three dozen of the leaders of the FARC, not just the top leaders in the Secretariat, but also uh, the leaders of, of various regions. And that has brought a 50-year insurgency to what some people think is its lowest point. And at a time when there's negotiations going on between the two sides, it's given the Colombian government a lot of leverage that it previously didn't have over the insurgents. In, In some ways,
0: what your article outlines is a strategy that has brought the FARC to its knees.
3: Right. And it's a strategy that when you look at what has gone on... And the U.S. side in terms of intelligence capabilities and development of new processes since 9-11 is very much in keeping with what's happened elsewhere. So that means that the government, the U.S. government has really learned since 9-11 how to, fo- how to find and follow individuals, which was something that wasn't very good at before 9-11 but it's applied those processes and the different uh... technology that it used against al-Qaeda to help find so-called high-value targets in Colombia and elsewhere Mexico for example I was looking at the story started because I was looking at areas in the world where the large U.S. intelligence agencies had been helpful to allied governments that wasn't in the Middle East and I first uh, decided to do a story in Mexico where the intelligence cooperation is very deep uh, on drug trafficking and that during that I found out a little bit more about Colombia and got curious about that so decided to delve into that so what while everyone else was looking in the Middle East and, and elsewhere, you know, what were they doing in other parts of the world? That was sort of the impetus for the story.
0: Your story reveals and confirms, really, for the first time, that the U.S. was helpful in the killing of a FARC rebel leader in Ecuador.
3: That's right. Well, just to give a little background onto that, you know, the U.S. Has, had uh, been close to the Colombian government. For many years, and had started to uh, build a tight relationship with it. And then there were three contractors who were kidnapped by the FARC in 2003. It was a time that it was very busy for all of the military and the intelligence world in Iraq and Afghanistan. You know, we we're just about to invade Afga- uh, Iraq, and we were in Afghanistan. These three contractors get kidnapped and people were worried that uh, the FARC uh, by then it was on the list as a terrorist organization but there were people that were worried that um, this might provide a model for Al-Qaeda to start kidnapping Americans and so they really poured all of the intelligence work that they had been doing overseas, they they used the same model in Colombia to first try to find the kidnapped contractors. And that led to a lot more cooperation. It led to the development of a fusion center where all sorts of intelligence, both technical and human intelligence, came together. And they said, well, you know, we can use this against the FARC as well. Uh, And that's what they started doing. The story, really, the guts of the story is about how the CIA, uh, with Colombian pleading, you know, wanted Colombians wanted, or the president really, wanted... Uh,
0: and that would be President George W. Bush.
3: That would be President Bush and President Uribe, who wanted a certain technology. Well, they really wanted drones, but, the government, but Washington said you can't have drones. So they came up with another solution. Actually, this Air Force colonel on the ground in Colombia came up with another solution, which was... Smart bombs, so those are bombs that have a brain. Uh, In this case, the best brains that bombs have are are GPS-guided. That work with a satellite and work with the ground people, and they can guide a uh, a bomb to a target, to a person, actually, if you know where that person is. And so that's what they started to think about doing, and in 2007 decided that they could give this technology they could make they could basically turn dumb bombs which just drop out of a plane and gravity forces them to the ground into a smart bomb which requires this kit that you strap on to a bomb but it also requires a satellite link into a GPS satellite system and that's what they ended up doing so Colombia got these the smart bomb technology and at a certain point it learned, it decided, Colombia did, that they knew where Raul Reyes was, which was right on the other side of the border in Ecuador and the U.S. did not actively participate in it, but it knew that it was going on. It knew that its technology was being used and so it, it tacitly went along with an unauthorized over-the-border attack on a country that neither Colombia nor the U.S. was at war with, and then, you know, Colombia covered it up. Uh, the U.S. I'm sure helped cover it up by not uh, helping the OAS, the Organization of American States, when they did their their investigation of this. Um, no one helped them learn the truth. But so,
0: President Uribe eventually apologizes for all this. He
3: does. He apologizes for it and uh, because it became such a big deal between the two countries. And there were rumors and allegations that, well, maybe the CIA had done this because the CIA is always part of the you know allegations that swirl around any controversy overseas. And uh, what I learned in the story was the U.S. knowledge of the of the operation and the use of its technologies to carry it out. In other words, tacit approval of the of the uh, operation. Because at the time, uh, even though we had given this technology to the Colombians, we still held a veto card over the targets. We could still um, not give them. This is kind of technical, but there was a certain a certain key that was required to make the smart bomb be able to communicate with the GPS satellite.
0: The GPS switch.
3: Yeah, it's a, right, it turned it on and off. So we could have said, no, that doesn't fit into what we think you should be using this for, and we're not going to give you this key today, but instead they, they didn't. They, they wanted to get Raul Reyes too.
0: So I know you work with a lot of unnamed sources in, in this story. I, it's impressive that at one point you point out nine sources Um, give you some of these pieces of information so it's more than just the one source or two source story Um, without getting into any parts that would be sensitive what can you tell us a little bit about the journalistic craft that went into how you went about this?
3: Well if you were to look if you were to look back on most of my stories that have to do with the CIA no one is ever named because it would get them in a lot of trouble. Uh, the CIA, this is, a co- this is a covert operation. And uh, those aren't supposed to be made public. So you have to rely on unnamed sources. You know, of course, I know who the sources are, but I have to protect them. And what I didn't know at the time, well, I didn't know the story, but I, I also didn't know the depth of the relationship um, in Latin America. I can't say that you know there are a lot of other countries where it's th- this deep. I would say Colombia and all of Latin America is probably the deepest relationship with um, the intelligence world and the, mil- and the military. Even though there are a lot of constraints, you know the U.S. military did not participate directly in these operations. But another surprising thing that I found out during the course of this story was that at one point a thousand JSOC troops, so those are the that's Special the joint, Forces, yes. It's, just, it's But it's the clandestine Special Forces, the Joint Special Operations Command, the same people that did the Bin Laden raid thousand of them came to Colombia and no one ever discovered it.
0: There were some critics of the story after it came out um, I wonder how you react to them especially, don't know if you saw the Counterpunch article that criticized the work
3: main criticism had to do with not taking the Colombian military to task for all of its human rights abuses and not taking the Colombian intelligence um, apparatus to task for the same thing and that's true i didn't but this story was very narrowly focused and so i was interested i'm not the colombian correspondent i'm not the latin american correspondent i was really interested in more in the us side and what the us was doing so Uh, The criticism, I mean, it's true that I didn't address any of those points, but I meant to keep the story very narrowly focused.
0: What else would you like to talk about that you think is important regarding this particular investigation?
3: Well, I do think that it's worth thinking about how the United States exports and shares the new capabilities it has. One of the things that was surprising to me, even after the revelations uh, from William, from uh, Edward Snowden and all those documents, is just how much the National Security Agency works in uh, Mexico and in Colombia. Now, in, I mean over, actually. <laughs> and how deeply they've been involved in tracking uh, drug kingpins in Mexico and Colombia, and in many instances sharing that information with the governments. So it's used in various ways, uh, and those ways are interesting when you think about how they are applied in different contexts.
0: Thank you so much, Dana Priest, of the Washington Post. Our guest today on Latin Pulse. A short postscript, our Alisa Pacheco served as one of the researchers for Priests on that investigative report. This week, with the World Cup underway in Brazil, the AULA blog has several pieces on Brazil, on sustainable development, and another on religion. You can check out the blog at AULAblog, all one word, .net. That's net. And if you're looking for our program, Latin Pulse, We're available in various locations on the web, including iTunes, Facebook, and MusicaQ. You can also find us in the Brazilian online game, Minimundos. If you'd like to comment on this program, you may leave us a message online via SoundCloud, or you may write us via email. You can find us at latinpulse at gmx.com. That's latinpulse, all one word, at gmx.com. Thanks for joining us this week on Latin Pulse for our entire team. Associate producer Elisa Pacheco and announcer Victor Kilo, I'm Rick Rockwell. Escuchenos otra vez. Gracias por su tiempo. Latin Pulse is produced in Washington, D.C. at American University School of Communication and with the support of Link TV. Theme music provided by Link TV and additional music by Canary Productions and Bathtime Music Publishing. This program is copyright 2014, Las Rocas Productions.